Tune in to my next interview with Janine from America, an educator currently in Ecuador. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where I talk to expats about what it's like living, working, making a home abroad. You'll get great information for your move abroad via this podcast. Also, go to the website, arewehomeyetpodcast.com, and subscribe to the blog for more helpful information to make your home abroad a success. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. Thank you for returning back to the podcast, Are We Home Yet? So today I have the pleasure of interviewing Janine. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. How are you? Great, great, great. I'm doing well. Thank you. All right. So Janine, where do you currently live and how long have you lived there? I live in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. in a city called Manta on the coast. And I have lived here. I'm, I'm counting actually (laughs) eight months. I believe I've been here for eight months. I feel like I have a very relaxed environment here. Um, It's very chill for me. And uh, the, the food is, I, I enjoy the seafood most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy the fish and the. Uh, there are some seafood that I never really enjoyed when I was in the states, uh, but, such as squid. And for some reason here, it tastes delicious. I enjoy the seafood a lot. This the food here is not super flavorful in terms of seasoning, mm-hmm. so that some other Latin American countries are, are known for being extremely flavorful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here I, I find that it's either kind of bland or just needs a little salt or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's still very enjoyable food options. So far, the people seem very welcoming. I haven't encountered things that are drastically different than home. Uh, although I feel like my, my view of what's different than home is a bit skewed now because I've been away from the United States. That's my home country. I've been away from the States for seven years now. And so what I would say is really different now versus what I would say is really different seven years ago has changed over time. Mm -hmm. So like, is, is this the first country that you've lived in or have you lived in any others? I have lived in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. I have lived in Turkey and Ecuador is the third country outside of the U.S. that I've lived in. Kuwait was my first move. Mm-hmm. And as you might imagine, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, like physically, the temperature, extremely hot. Uh, it's it's quite interesting in Kuwait because it's hot everywhere and therefore it's freezing cold inside of all buildings. Mm-hmm. So you have this extreme of being cold indoors and then you go outdoor out uh, outside and if the wind blows, the, it feels like when you open an oven and stand back that heat that mm. <laughs> uh, comes from the oven. I mean, it's it's hot like that sometimes. And uh, 
be, beyond the heat, uh, people often ask about, you know, the religion and is it restrictive? And I can say I appreciate having lived in two majority Muslim countries mm-hmm. because I felt like there were some obvious and less obvious uh, restrictions and practices. For example, in Kuwait, you would see all forms of dress in terms of the the women and the men. They had abayas, uh, which is like the long dress uh, that women can wear. Mm. Uh, the men have... I cannot remember exactly what it's called for the men, uh, Thobe, or I'm not remembering the name at this point. It's escaping me, the long white robe. Mm-hmm. So you would see that. Uh, you would see jeans and T-shirt. You would see some women covering their hair. Uh, and you would see some women who didn't cover at all. And so there was quite a variety and there was never any any requirement for me to cover myself in the same fashion, mm-hmm. although it was understood that you dress modestly. Mm-hmm. And um, so not showing a great deal of cleavage and not wearing shorts that are extremely short is just a way to honor and respect the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Kuwait, there is no alcohol in public places or in private. <laughs> in mm-hmm. Kuwait, uh, drinking alcohol is illegal. Okay. And uh, it's, I found a lack of entertaining things to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was interesting. I was earning. Uh, quite a sufficient amount of money Uh, and sometimes it felt like I had to leave the money I mean I'm sorry sometimes it felt like I had to leave the country in order to spend the money in an enjoyable way Mm. Um, when I that my school paid for my tickets to get there my summer ticket to go home and visit family my rent and my bills. So I think the only bills I was responsible for for myself was my cell phone bill uh, and my personal expenses, my groceries. Oh, very nice. School took care of things like lights and gas and uh, utilities. I lived there for two years. If I compare my time in Kuwait, which I chose to leave because, um, once again, I I found a lack of things. I there was a lack of things to do. It uh, some of my friends with families rather enjoyed it because you can afford housekeepers and childcare without any problem there, mm-hmm. and uh, they could you know, take their kids to the little play centers and things like that on weekends. Mm -hmm. And there are activities that seem a bit more family motive, uh, geared toward families. Mm -hmm. However, uh, as a single woman, 
I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, going shopping and going to restaurants seemed to be the the main options. Uh, meanwhile, if I compare that to Turkey, I lived in Istanbul, Turkey. In Istanbul, you can always find something to do. Okay. The, the choices are numerous and uh, they have a rich history. Mm-hmm. They have uh, lots of cultural events. They have <laughs> a, there's lots of, I don't want to say modernity, modernity, because like both cities, I mean, both countries were modern. <laughs> mm. uh, and and Kuwait uh, both are modern but if you are feeling like oh this weekend I want to do an art gallery this weekend I want to go to a cultural presentation about the history of the Ottoman Empire this weekend I want to do a book club Uh, I want to go to a club and party and dance Uh, you know you have all of these options in Istanbul and multiple multiples of those options. So as you might imagine, any bustling metropolitan city, that is what you have going on in Istanbul. So that was a really great place to live for me. Where did you move from? Where are you originally from? (laughs) Sometimes I have to think about this. (laughs) (laughs) I was born and raised in Northwest Ohio in Toledo, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, my first experience out of Ohio, Mm -hmm. I moved to Indiana Mm -hmm. after I graduated college or a couple years after I graduated from university. I lived in Indiana for a few years. I moved to North Carolina and lived there for about six years before Mm -hmm. moving to Kuwait. My moves in general are not prompted by dislike of where I currently am. Mm -hmm. They're really prompted by, wow, let me see what else is out there. Mm -hmm. I take that back. Kuwait was like, let me get out of here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because I mean, that is an honest uh, reaction. Sometimes when you move and you visit different places, Uh whether you're moving there or visiting there, there's the possibility that you will enjoy it. And Uh there's a possibility that you won't. And Uh so that's a realistic possibility. Uh However, in North Carolina, I loved my life in North Carolina. Uh I really had uh, a fun, active social life. Uh And I loved how there's there are four seasons, but it seems like you can do indoor outdoor things year round Uh in North Carolina. And the the natural beauty of that state is amazing. And I had some friends who were teaching in Abu Dhabi my last couple years in North Carolina. Uh And I started to consider that option. I also believe that one of those summers while I was in North Carolina, not I believe, I know it. (laughs) One of those summers, I traveled to Costa Rica. 
Mm-hmm. And it was a fun trip. However, it was also, although it was a low budget trip, it was expensive for me mm-hmm. because of my, uh, my profession is teaching mm-hmm. and uh, it was just hard to manage on my teacher's salary, mm-hmm. even at a single person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, if I want to do more travel, it seems like I need to live a place mm-hmm. that's more centralized yeah. in the world so that travel is more accessible. And so those two things, that that reflection after traveling to Costa Rica and my observing the lives that my friends were living uh, after they had moved to Abu Dhabi were a part of my inspiration to begin to look into teaching abroad. You know, so so kind of still going back to Kuwait, like, well, then how did you find out about Kuwait? Like and 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 why Kuwait? You know, because, you know, later on, you moved to some place where you found that was very interesting, Istanbul, you know, and 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 it sounds like, you know, you're content as well here in Ecuador. So, you know, like why why Kuwait? How how did Kuwait come about? When I was looking, I had some specific goals. Mm-hmm. I was looking for when initially when I realized there's a thing called an international school because that was a new concept to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I had this revelation. So I can go to almost any region of the world mm-hmm. and go to a school where the instruction is in English mm-hmm. and teach what I know how to teach. Uh, Like that was a big mind blowing revelation. And uh, initially I thought, well, I'm just gonna go live on a beach somewhere. And so I thought Mediterranean uh, region or Caribbean island, those kinds of things appealed to me. However, uh, if I take, for example, the Caribbean, Uh, these islands are very expensive uh, and I didn't see job opportunities abounding. And also I had a goal of getting out of debt. And so I was looking for places that had great financial packages, places that were going to pay uh, for most of my living expenses Uh When I looked into some of the options in European countries, they're in demand. They don't have to pay your living expenses. Uh (laughs) Those schools kind of present themselves as your coming here is the prize. We don't have to lure (laughs) you with the options. Uh, I found that the countries that seemed to have the best overall packages to benefit from financially were either uh, Asia or the Middle East. So countries within the the Middle East and Asia. And so I suppose I was more intrigued about life in the Middle East versus in Asia. Uh And so I started to interview with some schools. By the way, I used one of the popular agencies is TeachAway. Mm-hmm. I looked at teachaway.com. I also 
uh, used another one that I cannot think of at the moment. Uh, another agency that uh, is kind of job listing. They don't necessarily find the job placement, but you put your CV or resume uh, on this job and, uh, I mean, excuse me, on this website uh-huh. and the administrators for different schools can access that and they can invite you to interview. They also put their information regarding what kind of packages they offer, some in great detail and some in very little detail. Uh-huh. Uh, but so that uh, that actually is called Thai Online, the International Educator Online. Okay. And so through these websites, I narrowed it down to either going to the UAE or Kuwait. And perhaps I chose Kuwait because I was able to know exactly where I would be going. Mm-hmm. The UAE, the program for the UAE just said, we'll place you somewhere. You'll find out when you get here. And that mm-hmm. did not appeal to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, in the case of my friends, they had actually ended up becoming neighbors, mm-hmm. even though they were hired at different times. So that worked out really well in their situation. Mm-hmm. However, you know, there was an option. I mean, there was a possibility that I could have ended up in the desert somewhere. Mm. And <laughs> that really did not appeal to me as a person moving overseas alone. Yeah. And so with Kuwait, I I felt good about the job interview. I knew uh, I didn't know the school ahead of time, but I was able to look online, see what the school looked like. I was able to look online and see uh, blogs and blogs and information about life in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And I felt comfortable enough to move forward with making that move. I used the same resources Mm -hmm. in finding the position in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. And when it was time for me to leave Istanbul, which was when it was my choice to leave mm-hmm. Istanbul, I started to use these resources again. And then I was reflecting, you know, as I was preparing to go to another job fair. And I reflected on the fact that I did not want to go through that process again for this mm-hmm. year. I wanted a break. And so I started to look into places in Latin America Mm -hmm. where I could move and have my year off affordably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I started to look into, uh, and I had made a decision to move to Latin America, uh, kind of as in, that seems like the next chapter in my life. Let's see what's, what's out there. And also, I want to become a fluent Spanish speaker. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I started to focus on uh, which countries have good health care. You know, this is during a pandemic. So I wanted to see which countries seem to be handling the pandemic responsibly. 
uh, we're still accepting uh, expats to come and and get visas who had a relatively simple visa process, who had significant numbers within their expatriate communities so that I could be both immersed in the culture, but also connect with native English speakers. And who, I, I really enjoy living near the sea. Mm-hmm. So who had all of this stuff, but near the sea? I wanted it to be a good quality life and enjoy quality of life and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in doing some of my research, I found Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you mentioned quality of life. Um, so, you know, like part of quality of life is like cost of living, but also like, you know, like what, what did you feel like your safety was like, your peace of mind was like? I can say <laughs> that in terms of safety, my biggest concern sometimes is more related to be a, being a woman mm-hmm. uh, than to just being a human in general. <laughs> so uh, sometimes my safety concern in uh, male-dominated societies is if something were to happen, would I be believed? Mm-hmm. And so I always use universal precautions wherever I am. Mm-hmm. I probably felt safest in general in Kuwait mm-hmm. because their their society out in public. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Out in public, mm-hmm. you in are very respectful or sometimes completely ignore women in general. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did not feel as if I was at risk traveling around Kuwait alone, doing my day-to-day errands, even though culturally that was something I saw more for foreigners, for people who are Kuwaiti, uh, often they would go out in groups. And so even as possibly an obvious foreigner, <laughs> uh, I still felt felt safe. In Turkey, uh, I just was generally aware, you know, of my surroundings. There, I never became a fluent Turkish speaker. I could communicate the basics in Turkish. So my my thought was often, you know, if anything happens, will the police believe me? Do I have Turkish friends on standby who I can call and translate for me if anything should happen? And my biggest concern uh, was public transport in Turkey. Uh, as you might imagine, like if you were on subways in Chicago or New York City. I I experienced incidences of uh, grabbing inappropriate touching, Hmm. which uh, upon reflection with some friends, 
you know, it wasn't done in, in isolation only to me. This happened to other women as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed as if it was something that was widely known about, but not widely spoken about. Mm. And I, for some reason, I'm not going to shame myself for agreeing to sit in the front seat of a taxi, mm-hmm. but I learned very quickly to never sit in the front seat of a taxi uh, because of attempts at groping or inappropriate touching that occurred. Mm-hmm. So uh, that did happen. And that did, I mean, that those type of incidents do affect your sense of safety and well-being. Mm -hmm. and in my situation and when I compared to my friends who were people of color uh, when I had these discussions uh, more of us who were black women or obvious foreign women had these types of experiences compared to my friends who looked as if they could blend right in Mm. So if any of uh, the listeners ever have the experience of not feeling validated because your white coworkers are like, that's never happened to me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doesn't mean that you are some oddball. It just Mm -hmm. means perhaps it didn't happen to them. Uh, As in many parts of the world, sometimes whiteness can save you in ways that uh, blackness cannot. And and that was one of the things that I experienced there, uh, in, in Turkey, not to the point where I was so uncomfortable that I wouldn't go out or where I hid in my house, but it was just something that I had, uh, increased awareness of. Mm -hmm. I haven't had any, dangerous experiences or extremely uncomfortable experiences living in Ecuador. I have been, it seems the Ecuadorians are fairly cautious in terms of who they trust. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is a bit interesting because in, in other places where I've been, where I've lived, where I've visited, it's the foreigners who are saying, uh, that place might be dangerous. Don't go there. Don't. I, I've heard this thing. It's the foreigners who presume that a place is more dangerous than it is. Mm. And the locals who say, relax. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I go mm. there all the time. It's no big deal. Mm. Uh, however, here in Ecuador, it seems like the locals are saying, oh, muy peligroso. Like, that's dangerous. Mm. Don't go over there. Don't trust that person. Don't use that ATM in public. Don't uh, like they are very they have a a wariness of trusting uh, people. And this is this is just my short term impression from the short time that I've been here, that people are very, very cautious about petty crimes. And so I try to be careful about you know, I always use universal precautions in protecting my belongings. Mm-hmm. And I have, I, I feel as if I have become more reluctant about being out at night alone. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, there's not 
tons going on in terms of nightlife that's kind of being revived in this area at the time. Mm. So I haven't had lots of reasons to be out alone at night. Uh, when I am out at, alone at night, I don't feel extremely vulnerable. However, I try to just practice those universal precautions of looking where I'm going and not doing anything that flashes. I am an obvious foreigner. Come take what I have. Mm -hmm. For me, some of my universal precautions include dividing up my valuables. For Mm -hmm. example, some might be in a purse and another might be in a, a waist belt. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's less obvious. Um, And sometimes I prefer a backpack to a purse Mm -hmm. simply because backpacks tend to, I, I, when I buy backpacks, I choose the kind where you cannot open from behind. Mm -hmm. So you have to uh, take it off Mm -hmm. (laughs) and open uh, you, you may be able to open from behind, but it's not an easy access type of things. Yeah, I don't yeah. Backpacks with obvious back panel pockets that are easy to access. Mm-hmm. I also like that lots of backpacks have a secret pocket in the back where you mm-hmm. have to physically take it off in order to unzip it and access your valuables inside. Mm-hmm. And so that is some of what I have done because I travel solo quite regularly. Mm -hmm. Well, in the past I have, I've kind of slowed down since this crazy pandemic, Mm -hmm. but I have a couple of backpacks that have a lock option so that I can lock it to my beach chair uh, or something like that, because that's something I get paranoid about. I want to go out to the sea Mm -hmm. and not feel like my my valuables are completely vulnerable, Mm -hmm. especially if I am spending a day out touring uh, and have multiple things along with me. So these are some of my universal precautions looking at what I have. Uh, I no longer take every camera option (laughs) that I own with me to Uh different places. (laughs) I've been in places where I had like a GoPro and my cell phone and a camera hanging on my neck. And first of all, it's hard to be in the moment when you have all that going on. And secondly, it's uh, it makes me feel more vulnerable in terms of being subject to theft. So these are some of the things I practice as well. Okay. And so, you know, going backwards a little bit, you mentioned that, you know, you're a teacher. So like what prompted you to enter that profession to begin with? I I recall enjoying the feeling of helping children to learn. I, I recall some volunteer service opportunities as a teenager where I really enjoyed working with children and especially in the area of literacy, helping them to learn to read. And and I have many siblings, many nieces and nephews, and it felt like a natural fit for me Uh when I was young and and choosing a career. Uh And Uh so what has kept me here was continuing 
to see the transformation of children going from uh, a small amount of academic knowledge in a certain area to, you know, really ex a, a greater amount of knowledge in that area and growing to independence and confidence with what they have learned. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy being a part of that process. Okay. And so, so what, what's your day to day like, like at work and away from work currently where you're at? <laughs> In moving here mm -hmm. and having my, I'm going to take a year off idea. Mm -hmm. I, in the beginning, I didn't work and that was different mm -hmm. <laughs> to go from working for, I'm 40 years old. So mm -hmm. to go from uh, working for the past maybe 25 years to not working. A life of leisure. A life of leisure. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my, I, I, I don't know. This feels strange. <laughs> uh, and I also found it awkward when people said, what did you do? What do you do? I'm like, suddenly I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm anymore. a lady of leisure. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yes. There's a, a meme and there are lots of reels where uh, I think it's Eartha Kitt's voice where mm -hmm. she said, I do not aspire to a life of labor. Oh, and yes. I feel that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's, nice. Yes. it's nice to be able to opt in and out when you are working. And I, my goal in this time away from the classroom is to look into what are my other options? What are the other facets of my uh, skill sets and abilities that can translate outside of a classroom? Mm -hmm. And so I have been exploring some possibilities. I do work now. I am teaching English through a website called, uh, there are a couple of websites, but I, I'm teaching English uh, about 20 hours, sometimes 25 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have, it seems like Mondays and Fridays are my busiest days with that, but I work off and on on different days. I, am, I have the flexibility to choose my schedule. I have the ability to take a day off to do nothing if I need to do that. And I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been uh, beginning to create materials that I'm selling on uh, websites such as teacherpayteachers.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just exploring these options to see where it goes. I, I don't feel highly motivated to return to a classroom next year. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what my future is going to look like mm -hmm. at the moment, but I'm just taking things day by day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so at certain times, the, the leisure part has felt a lot more leisurely <laughs> uh, of going to meet friends uh, for lunch, uh, going to uh, have a, a lunch by the sea, or uh, I have some, some friends here 
we like to, you know, paint together or just hang out and talk. I have mm-hmm. some friends here who like to do water aerobics in their pools and my more leisurely days. I can do things like that, go and do water aerobics at uh, mid-afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm still still trying to work on work-life balance and not mm-hmm. go back 100% with the work mm-hmm. because I've chosen to work. Okay. And so, you know, you mentioned friends and, um, and, and then before, you know, you mentioned uh, that in Kuwait, some of your friends ended up becoming neighbors. It just happened that way. So like, you know, um, how, how have you made friends and in like each of the places where, where you've gone to live? I have moved multiple times and I've never known anyone prior to moving to the place. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very grateful that I have been open to friendship in each location Mm -hmm. because the, the friendships happen. They, they come naturally. Sometimes you have to seek them out. Uh, In Ecuador, I looked online, I found uh, expat groups. Actually, everywhere I go, I look online and I look to see uh, if there are groups of foreigners online who can give information about local resources, local things to do, local places to hang out. And so I did that, uh, especially when I was in Turkey. I, I've done that here in Ecuador. And I've been able to join uh, social activities that allowed me to meet other people who live here, other foreigners or expats who live in the country. And at this point, I I actually socialize more with foreigners than Mm -hmm. with locals. And I would like to balance that out (laughs) more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But that's kind of just the way that it has worked out. So, okay. And, you know, since, since you, since you mentioned that you haven't known anyone prior to moving to any of these locations, you know, then, then I'm assuming that at times you, you might have missed, um, you know, people who you already knew back home, you know, so not just family, but obviously friends. So then I'll ask you, you know, so, so what do you miss about, Uh, your original homeland. What do you miss about America, about North Carolina? I feel that moving to Kuwait from North Carolina, there was a stark physical contrast in terms Mm -hmm. of the the natural environment outdoors, Mm -hmm. going from beautiful colors year round in North Carolina to uh, extreme heat and sand Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, not many trees in Kuwait was a bit of a shock. Um, And so uh, sometimes I miss the natural beauty of my home Um, in the States. Sometimes I miss the the selection, which is interesting because sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the the selection Mm -hmm. that's available in the States, but I, I will, use soda for an example Mm -hmm. whereas in some if in many places where you travel abroad 
uh, they will have. Okay, your choices are Coke, Sprite, and uh, I don't know, an orange one, Fanta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are the choices. Whereas you go to a soda section in the in a country in the U.S. and it is an aisle, um, and uh, I can take this soda analogy and apply it to types of furniture, uh, items for decorating a house. Uh, it, it's not that the options are not available here or. Uh, in Turkey, the options are available, but it takes time to figure out where to find what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It takes time to find out. In the States, there are full stores dedicated to teacher supplies, mm-hmm. where in other countries you have to find, okay, here's a stationary store where you can find this. Uh, if you go to this store, that's kind of the equivalent of a Home Depot. You can find this. If you go to this store, that is the equivalent of. You kind of have to find places that are the equivalent of uh, places you know in the states, mm-hmm. and figure out where to get things that are uh, what you would be looking for at home. Mm-hmm. And so. If I miss anything from home, it might be the ease and comfort of accessing some of the things that with, without having to do research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, I miss uh, friends from home. Uh, however, I'm so thankful for technology mm-hmm. because in the same manner that I'm talking to you, I can talk to the my my family members my friends who are so important to me and and I need that it's mm-hmm. it's a crucial part of my being able to thrive elsewhere uh re- maintaining connection with home is is super important for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll segue from friends into, you know, like more serious relationships, like when you're dating. So what's dating been like in in any of these countries? I don't know what I was thinking in Kuwait, but I did not date while I was in Kuwait. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Apparently that was my, uh, my, I don't even know how to describe that. I began dating again when I moved to Turkey Uh and I dated Turkish men and I dated West African men. Uh Uh, Part of the reason that I began to date mostly Nigerians uh, is because of the common language. Uh, Nigerians are English speakers. Mm-hmm. And so even though we had cultural difference, just like you would have a cultural difference with a Turkish man, uh, we could discuss them more clearly without the uh, language barrier that existed with Turkish men. And so I, I have had fun experiences dating getting to know different men here I have dated 
some Ecuadorian men I have dated. Uh, currently, I'm dating a, a West African man mm-hmm. again. And uh, I'm, I get to know the people. Um, I get to know about their families, their home. Um, and uh, none of them have resulted in marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I don't necessarily consider that the ultimate goal in, yeah. Yeah. in date. Uh, because part of the the goal of dating is to to come to the uh, reality of do we actually belong together? Is this sustainable? Uh, I am I am aware that sometimes dating can be opportunistic uh, in terms of what your partner offers. Um, I, I, I could easily be like an, a 90 day fiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, a, a person on a show like that, you know, sometimes I have to ask, is this person in it for me or are they dropping hints about, uh, I, I will just say that some, some of the men have proved to be opportunistic mm-hmm. um, asking for money or mm-hmm. hinting at how much they want to live in America. Mm-hmm. And my standard response is I'm here because I don't want to live in America anytime soon. So if that's mm-hmm. what you're after, mm-hmm. you can <laughs> you you can keep moving. Uh, and so um, all of these things um, I have to to factor in, but you know, you have to figure it out in the States, if someone wants you for you or because of uh, material reasons as well. Yeah. Like if they're maybe like a hobosexual and <laughs> and, <laughs> and they need like a place to stay or something, I guess yes. kind of the equivalent, you know, like when you're abroad, it's like, okay, well, do you need, do you need a new passport? Do you need a new, like, do you need yeah. a new life? Do you need a new country to live in? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> Yes, there's that. There's also this strange phenomenon, you know, in the States, uh, teachers are not high income earners. Mm -hmm. We just aren't. And so there's it doesn't feel like somebody's coming after you because Mm -hmm. you have money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's widely known that in the teaching profession, you just don't have money. Yeah, yeah. However, However, uh, abroad, <laughs> abroad, yeah. you earn competitive salary. Yeah. And so it's been strange that I out earn these men and I have to balance that by by still maintaining what's what's fun for me and what's enjoyable for me, but not expecting them to go broke trying mm. to go on a date and do something that I think it's fun. It's like, listen, if we go on budget dates, that's fine. And the thing that I like to do that is more expensive, I'll do it with my my friends who it's not going to break the, break the bank for us. 
then I am curious about, you know, the visa process because, you know, uh, moving to Kuwait as opposed to Turkey um, and then now in Ecuador, you know, your working situation is a little bit different from, you know, how you initially started out. So like what what has the visa process been like for for the various countries? And yeah, what's that been like? One of the perks of working with the schools that I've worked with is the school's human resources departments have handled the visa. Mm -hmm. And so in moving to Kuwait, the the human resources department for that school said, you need to do this and this and this and mail it to us. And they basically guided me through the process uh-huh. without I, I I just got the paperwork that they said to get and sent it to the places they said to send it to uh-huh. uh, same for Kuwait I did have excuse me same for Turkey I did have to go to the Turkish embassy in Chicago uh, the summer before I moved to Turkey no problem with that at all With Ecuador, this is the first time I've been handling the visa without the support of an employer. And it's also part of the reason when I was doing my research, I looked for countries where this process is not extremely difficult. And so I found a lawyer who has helped me to navigate this process. Uh I have one more step of uh, getting health insurance, which I'm in, uh, I met with a health insurance agent on Friday. Uh, today is Tuesday for me. Wow. <laughs> so uh, a few days ago, I met with uh, uh, an insurance agent. And so I have the visa. I just am still securing the final step, which is like their country's identification card, which is a cedula. Mm-hmm. And it's it has not been extremely difficult, although I have had to make sure I have all the paperwork and my older one of my older sisters in the States um, whose address is my primary address. Uh, we made it know she was agreeing to be my secretary when her address became my primary address. But mm-hmm. sometimes I've, I've had to work in collaboration with her to make sure that items that were sent to uh, agencies in the in the states uh, are collected at her house and then mm-hmm. sent to me here in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. So that it it takes a while it's not an extremely difficult process but it can be time consuming and uh, making sure that I have all of the needed paperwork uh, Mm. can can be you just have to be extra careful with checklists and making sure that you have everything because missing one item can delay or throw off the entire process. Mm -hmm. What other struggles, but then what joys have you experienced as an expat? 
When I first moved to Kuwait, I think that I was trying to convince myself and everyone else that I was having a great time. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe I was being honest about what the struggle was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That, you know, there was culture shock. I had moved to another country. I was a bit homesick. And I felt like I was internalizing this this need to put on a happy face at all times to Uh prove that so that I wouldn't get any, I told you so Uh kind of response. Uh And so uh, one of the the difficulties in the beginning was uh, that I myself was downplaying the difficulties. (laughs) Uh Um, And I experienced pretty extreme weight gain um and maybe even periods of like mild depression mm-hmm. um and so just acknowledging the uh cultural uh i forgot the phrase i just used it and i and i just forgot the phrase um the culture, oh, the culture shock, shock? Mm-hmm. yes uh, it's a real thing um yeah. even when you want something badly and you've done your research about how things are different. You mm-hmm. still don't know how you will be impacted and affected until you reach the place and you begin to live in the new location. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's that. Um, what other disadvantages? Um, there is maybe other people might understand the term expat bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked in places where my primary community is fellow expatriates, fellow foreigners. Mm -hmm. And so I run the risk of spending my entire, uh, my work life and social life in the expat bubble and not experiencing much of the local community. Yeah. And so learning to navigate that, learning to visit places that are not like foreigner approved, visiting restaurants that do not have options in English, (laughs) uh, going to doctors who do not speak English. These types of things um, are like staying in the expat bubble is very comfortable, but it's for me to my disadvantage if I don't uh, get out and experience the culture that I've chosen to live as a part of. So some of the ways that I've navigated that is number one with language learning lessons <laughs> so that I can speak sufficiently in the local language to be understood. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of some of the disadvantages, those are some. In terms of the benefits, uh, we've already been talking for a while. I don't think we have enough time to talk about the <laughs> benefits. Um, my, my benefits, like my world has, I feel like my perspective has expanded significantly. Mm-hmm. And... I feel as if I have some different perspectives on certain ideals, such as like freedom, 
privilege. I feel like I have ex expanded understanding of privilege um, <laughs> when I think about like people who uh, discuss white privilege and uh, I, I say I will never understand white privilege, but but I understand American privilege. I understand passport privilege. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of widened my view of privilege and why in some cases you will fight tooth and nail to not give that up because it's a comfort zone. Um, and so, for example, when I am dating uh and if I want to take a trip, you know, where my passport will take me versus where my uh, partner's passport will take me mm -hmm. is an example of the privilege that we don't have to think about as much day to day. Yeah. And I have oh, one of my huge benefits was uh, paying off. I became debt free while living in Kuwait. Mm, nice. They were just throwing that money at me. <laughs> I was throwing it at debt. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm grateful, very grateful for that. Wow. Um, not having any student loans remaining um, before, before I uh, make this sound like this was some, like they didn't pay me millions in Kuwait. I just mm -hmm. had... Uh, I had uh, about 25 grand in debt. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to pay that off during my two years living in Kuwait, which mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for. And uh, I've been able to travel to, I don't know, 30 plus countries. Mm -hmm. I have friends from around the world. And I feel like talking to people about really basic things, but having their perspective based on being a woman from Kazakhstan, a person from Korea, a South African person, a British person, like having these different perspectives enriches my outlook on different, different topics. Um, I, I, I have learned how to live with less and that I think is a surprising lesson, <laughs> learning how to live with less because um, sometimes the idea is, well, wait a minute, if you have less debt and you have uh, a comfortable income, you can afford more, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. more doesn't necessarily mean more happiness or more contentment. Mm -hmm. um, and when I moved to Ecuador, I gave away lots of things. I have a few things in my family's storage and I moved here with two large suitcases. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I, for comparison, when I moved to Kuwait, I moved with six suitcases. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I've learned to do with less, uh, to accept uh, purchasing items locally mm -hmm. and, to be content with, with what I have. And I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So I, I really feel that living abroad has done good things for me in, in terms of peace of mind. Um, one of the things that 
that I experience and one of my friends here is quite vocal about is that um, I'm not afraid for my life if the police stop me for any reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not uh, worried about police brutality or um, being treated horribly uh, in regards to the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, there are isms everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And there are institutional isms all over the world, but I think it affects me a bit differently as an expat living abroad. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, (laughs) I, I don't know that this comparison or this thought is fair, but I feel that in the States, I am black first and American Mm -hmm. second Mm -hmm. outside of the States. I am American first and black second Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how I am viewed and judged. Mm -hmm. And I'll let listeners interpret that however they want, but sometimes that can be a bit of a, of a safety for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'll leave off with one last question. Um, So What's your definition of home? <laughs> uh, wow. I feel like I should have a quick answer for this because I've been like doing um, <laughs> lessons on it this week and with some of my English students. Mm-hmm. Um, home is where I feel most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Home is where I, I make myself at home by bringing photos of my family with me, mm-hmm. um, mementos, small things um, that represent the people and the places that I love. Um, home is where I consciously choose to dwell and make my effort to, to uh, I don't know, assimilate. Mm-hmm. Uh, become comfortable, fit in, make connections. And so for me, home is not one place. Um, I used to say home is wherever my parents are. And uh, unfortunately, I've lost my parents mm-hmm. um, in recent years. Mm-hmm. And so that statement does not still hold true. Yeah. Um, for me, home, home is where I make the conscious decision to dwell, to make myself comfortable, and where I keep the representations of the people in places that are most dear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. So, you know, with that, uh, I'm going to say thank you to Janine for taking the time to be interviewed by me on this podcast. Are we home yet? A podcast where expats talk about what it's like living abroad. And, you know, maybe along the way we inspire future expats to also go out there and, and live a different kind of life, maybe a more interesting kind of life. Um, So I want to thank all my listeners as well to tuning in and, you know, everyone, I hope you have a great day. Have a great day, Janine. Thank you. You too.
I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe on your podcast player and also leave a great review and rating of this podcast as well. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.